It was my second year of seminary at uh, Perkins School of Theology at SMU when I took the class on worship. It's a class that you take to learn all the correct theology and practices of every part of a worship service, as well as all the different kinds of worship services there are. We spent a lot of time talking about the sacrament of Holy Communion, the history, the theology, the way to carry that out, the words to say, how different denominations' theology would shape and form that they, the way that they would serve communion. It was a great class, and I loved it. I felt very self-confident in my awareness of worship, and especially in my theology and the way I could articulate Holy Communion. During that same time, I was pastoring two churches in southeast Oklahoma. Now, I love these congregations. They were great churches. Near one of the churches was a group home where adults with mental or learning disabilities would reside and and gain more independence in their living skills. Well, from time to time, one of these adults would come to our worship service, and one in particular had the name of Joseph. He was a young man, probably between 25 and 30. He was very kind, very friendly and outgoing, but he had the mental ability of probably a seven or eight-year-old. On one particular occasion, he came forward for Holy Communion. Now, in this church, the tradition was that the pastor would call the people forward and they would kneel at the altar rail, and the pastor would go along and serve each person independently. And then as that person was served, they would stand up and go back to their seat, and another person would take their spot at the altar rail. So I was going along, serving each person, and I came to Joseph, and he had a big smile on his face, and I served him communion, and then I started to move on, and he made a motion for me to serve his friend. His friend was a stuffed toy. Now, more specifically, it was a black and white felt skeleton. Now, a lot of things passed through my mind in that one moment. First and foremost was that nothing in my worship class had taught me anything to prepare me for this. I kept thinking, what am I supposed to do? Uh, Holy communion is a sacred moment. It's holy and sanctified. How can I pretend to give it to a doll? I don't know if it would have made it easier if it was a cute doll, but the fact that it was a skeleton seemed to make it worse for me. I started going through my credo, my belief about communion, and finally in that split second... I realized that my correct thinking wasn't as important as my correct actions there to this young man. It wasn't as much for me to be right as it was for me to be kind. Now, later that day, I would reflect on all that had happened. And I I remember thinking, I am so glad my professors weren't here And I remember thinking, I'm really glad the Board of Ordained Ministry wasn't here. But I had no problem with the fact that I felt Christ had been there. I wasn't embarrassed. I felt this sense of calm that even though I had served communion in a way that I would have never imagined, that somehow in showing kindness instead of right thinking, and I had pleased God by showing God's love, That was key in that moment. 
Today, we're continuing on with our sermon series, The The Kindness Project. This is also our theme for the entire year. The Kindness Project is a commitment that we are making as the family of faith to do an act of kindness each and every day. Now, all of us are nice people and we try to live nice lives, but this is an act of kindness that goes above and beyond the nice things that we would normally do. Now, as you saw earlier, you take your wristband, we have a kindness wristbands to remind you, and you place it on your right hand in the morning, and then when you've done an act of kindness, you can switch it over to your other wrist to help remind you to live this out every day. Well, this is based on the scripture passage from John, where Jesus tells us, a new commandment I give you, to love one another the way that I have loved you. We begin every day remembering the love that God has for us, a love that began before we did, a love that can't be earned, a love that can't be changed no matter what we might do in the future, what we might have ever done. It can't be taken away because the love of God is ever faithful. God will always love us as his children. But then because of that love, we are filled with gratitude and encouragement to go out and share that same love with others. So this is how we can live God's love out in the world by intentionally showing kindness to one another. This this morning's scripture passage is an insightful one into the life of the Apostle Paul. He and some of his uh, friends had been preaching earlier in Thessalonica. They had been preaching there a few days, preaching the word of God, when a group of angry citizens rose up and chased them out of town. And so then they went to Berea, and they were preaching there for a few days when the angry group in Thessalonica caught wind that Paul and his friends were in Berea, And apparently not satisfied by the fact that they had chased him out of Thessalonica, they went clear to Berea and made sure to chase him out of that town as well. And so Paul's friends were worried about his safety, and they sent him on to Athens alone, and they would join him there. But as he arrived at Athens and he was waiting for his friends, he looks around the city and he sees all these different idols, all these different gods that the people of Athens were worshiping. And it said that he was greatly disturbed. He was angry. And so he went down to the synagogue, for he was Jewish. He went down to the synagogue and started arguing with people. Now, I love it. I think it's very interesting that the scripture doesn't say that he went to the synagogue and he was preaching the word of God and they argued with him. It says that he was very provoked. He was disturbed in his spirit about the idols. And he went to the synagogue and started arguing with the Jews and the devout people that were there. And apparently that wasn't enough. So he went down to the marketplace and he argued with anyone he encountered. Paul was just fed up. He had been run out of two towns. He was worn out physically, emotionally, spiritually. And he was starting his Athens ministry off on a bad foot, alienating people by arguing right off the bat. How would he be able to handle his strong beliefs against idols and yet still win the heart of the people of Athens? 
How are we able to wrestle with our own strong beliefs, our own opinions, and yet not let them get in the way of our being kind to others? I think there are three important things that we can discuss this morning to help us. The first is to recognize that it is important for us to have strong beliefs. We are called to grow in our faith. For Paul, he wasn't just a Jew. He studied the Jewish religion. He was a leader in the faith. And one of the hallmarks of Judaism is found in Deuteronomy 6.4, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now that passage is called the Shema, based on the first Hebrew word of that text, Shema. It's translated to hear or listen. But I don't think our English translation really captures the force of that commandment. When I hear the phrase, hear, O Israel, I actually think of uh, an old military movie, usually a Navy movie, where sailors are gathered around a loudspeaker and it starts broadcasting, now hear this, now hear this you get the sense that this is not some kind of suggestion or a happy, you know, thought of the day. This is a command. This is important information. And that's the weight of the Shema. That's the translation. Hear, O Israel, now hear this. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. This was something so important to the foundation of the Jewish faith that they were commanded to teach this to their children and to remind themselves by binding it to their foreheads and and to their doorposts. And to this day, if you uh, see an ultra-Orthodox Jewish person, you might notice that they may have a, a small box on their forehead or on their forearm. And in those boxes are passages of Scripture, one of them being the Shema. Or you might go to visit the home of a Jewish friend and you might notice a rectangular box near their front door on their doorframe. It's a mezuzah and it contains this scripture. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. For Paul, he had been steeped in that core belief that there is only one God And so he arrives in Athens, he's tired, he's worn out, he's alone, and he sees a multitude of gods that the people are worshiping, and he just kind of loses it. The belief wasn't the problem. He was able to come back and wrestle within himself, not to abandon what he believed, but to utilize it in such a way to still reach out and capture the heart of the people of Athens. You know, I've been reading about Franklin Delano Roosevelt. This Saturday, January 30th, is the anniversary of his birth. 134 years ago, he was born. But this month is not just the anniversary of his birth, it's also the 75th anniversary of a very important speech that he gave, the Four Freedoms speech. It was on January 6, 1941, that FDR went before Congress and the American people. He had been watching the activities of Hitler and the Nazi party uh, across Europe and all the, the exploitation and all the, 
the destruction of lives and property. He knew deep in his heart that our response as a nation, the only thing we could do to be just and right was to join in the war against Hitler. And yet he knew that by and large, the American people wanted no part of that war. They were worn out from World War I and the Great Depression, and they didn't want to get involved in a war that they thought didn't involve them. And so here's the leader of the country wanting to lead the people who didn't want to go there. How did he convince them? How did he capture their heart? He gave this speech, and it wasn't to reprimand or condemn them, but to win them over to this belief. I want to read you some parts of this speech. He said, as your president, performing my constitutional duty to give to the Congress information of the State of the Union, I find it unhappily necessary to report that the future and safety of our country and of our democracy are overwhelmingly involved in events far beyond our borders. No realistic American can expect from a dictator peace, generosity, or freedom. Such a peace would bring no security for us or our neighbor. In the future days, which we seek to make secure, we look forward to a world founded upon four essential human freedoms. The first is freedom of speech and expression everywhere in the world. The second is freedom of every person to worship God in their own way, everywhere in the world. The third is freedom from want, everywhere in the world. And the fourth is freedom from fear, which translated means that no nation will be in a position to commit an act of physical aggression against any neighbor anywhere in the world. FDR was able to convince the American people that his deeply held beliefs were our beliefs as well. It's important that we grow in our faith and we have strong convictions. But second, it's important that we also see others as the children of God. Paul makes a great statement in this passage. He says, I perceive you in every way to be very religious. He sees them. And specifically, he sees that they're very religious. How does he see that? Because of all the idols. The very thing that made him so mad. He was able to step back. And instead of focusing on his own beliefs, his own convictions, and his anger... He stepped back and focused on the people. He was not sent there by God to condemn the people, but rather to make God's love known to them. And so instead of focusing on his own kind of anger that was consuming him, he thought about the people and he realized he was there to share God's love with them. He focused. He saw he was able to perceive their needs Many times in life, we get caught up with our own thinking and opinions, and sometimes that can get in the way of us focusing on what really matters, the people around us. 
Sometimes we can hone in on our own agenda so much that we don't see the needs of others around us. It's not important if we're right if we can't be loving. This year, we will hear lots of arguing and debating and name-calling and backbiting and lots of campaign rhetoric. And it can be easy for us to get caught up in that, thinking, well, that one's right and that one's wrong, or I'm right and they're all wrong. And yet, it doesn't matter if we're right if we can't be loving. In that same kind of atmosphere, hearing all this kind of back and forth and the arguing and then talking about all the insecurities and all the problems, we can be affected by the prejudices of the world. When that happens, we start to judge people before we see them as the children of God. That puts up a barrier so that we're not truly able to share God's love with them. It's important for us to have strong beliefs, and it's very important that we don't let our belief system be shaped by the world around us, but rather by God. Many of you may have heard the news story this past week that's been making the circles. On January 15th, a Gainesville, Florida police officer by the name of Bobby White was sent to investigate a group of youth playing basketball. Now, the caller reported that they were making lots of noise, so he was sent to investigate. Now, Bobby White is a white police officer, and when he arrived, it was a group of African-American young men playing the game. He got out of his car, and the very first thing he said was, can you believe I was sent here to investigate you guys playing basketball? Obviously, I have no problem with it. And he started playing the game with him, and he played pickup with him for quite some time after that. Now, for all the sin of racism that we've seen in our country and around the world, it would have been understandable if those young men were not able to trust this police officer. And it would have been understandable for us to see this police officer who was acting on a report to go into the situation somewhat judgmental, somewhat looking for the problem, and yet he got out of the car and he chose to see them as children of God. And it changed the whole situation. It wasn't till the very end when he was about to leave that he finally said, look guys, I'm getting ready to go. Just do me a favor and and don't get too loud. But then he said, are you guys playing here tomorrow? And they said that they were. And he said, well, tomorrow I'm bringing backup and we'll get a real game going. He was able to see them as children of God. Many times in life, our thinking can affect the way that we perceive others. It's important to not let our thinking, whether it's right or, heaven forbid, if it's wrong thinking and prejudice, we can't let it stop us from sharing God's love. I have to believe that our minds, even as brilliant as they may be, our minds are not as powerful as God's heart. And so third, we can't let anything be a barrier in sharing kindness. For Paul, he has a brilliant speech. He looks around and he sees the people gathered there and he said, People of Athens, I see that you are very religious. And as I was walking along, I saw the objects of your worship. 
meaning I saw all these idols. I saw the objects of your worship, and I saw an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. What you worship as unknown, I now proclaim to you. That's brilliant. Now, Paul didn't believe in idols. They made him angry. And Paul didn't believe that the one true God resided in this idol. And yet he used the practices of the people of Athens as a way in to help them know the God that they didn't know. He helped them to be able to see the love that they needed. For Paul, the problem wasn't the idols. His goal wasn't to get rid of all the idols in the city. His goal was to help the people know God. You know, he understood that people wouldn't need idols if they understood the love that God had for each one of them personally. And so his goal was to make God known to them. And that is our purpose as well. The world looks for unknown gods, and we have to make God known to the world. People try to make and create and have idols because they want something bigger than themselves, and they want it to be tangible. They want to be able to see something. And so I think this year with the Kindness Project is one of the greatest things that we can do in our purpose of sharing God's love. It makes God, uh, his love for people, seen. It makes it tangible to the world when we do acts of kindness and we can't let anything get in our way. In reading about FDR, it was very apparent that he grew up as a young boy in significant affluence. He was not able to go to public school, and he wasn't able to play with any of the neighborhood kids because his family perceived that there was a class difference, and they didn't want their son tainted by anyone else. He was allowed to play with his cousins and his relatives, but that didn't happen very often. And so as he grew up, it's not surprising that he had trouble relating to other people. He was going into politics, but he wasn't able to perceive the needs and the life of the ordinary citizen. Now, he was able to put on a smile. He was known for his smile and his positive attitude, but really he was kind of closed and distant because he couldn't relate. Well, early in his political career, he contracted polio, and this disease debilitated him to such a degree that he was almost completely paralyzed from the waist down. He was convinced that that would not be the final answer, and so he spent three years working diligently, exercising, and going through all sorts of therapy to combat this paralysis. And at the end of those three years, the doctors found that there really wasn't all that much muscle change. He was devastated. He felt like his political career was over, and he was ashamed of himself. And and it was about that time that he received a letter from a friend talking about some mineral waters in Georgia that seemed to have some medicinal qualities to them. And so he made a trip down to Warm Springs, Georgia, And he started bathing in these mineral pools, and it revived his spirit. He found healing and hope there, not uh, from his paralysis, but in his spirit, in his uh, psyche. 
he was able to stand on his own in the, in the pool, and he started inviting people to uh, this place. He bought Warm Springs and turned it into a rehabilitation spa, and it was there that he really found himself. He could be himself at a time when no photographers or reporters were allowed to film him um, in his wheelchair or his leg braces or ask him about his health. At Warm Springs, he could be in those items. He could play with the other people who came. He could swim in the pool with them. He was totally open. And because of that, he was able to minister to them as well. He helped them. He provided support and medical resources. It was a place that he could truly reach out and identify with the needs of the people around him. Being able to understand the needs of the poor, the outcast. People with polio at that time were shunned by society. Many times they weren't allowed to public swimming pools because people were fearful and prejudiced that they might get their disease. And yet here at Warm Springs, FDR was able to show kindness to them. And it helped shape him to be the president that we needed him to be in our history He was now able to see the needs of the poor and the outcast and be able to lead our country through the Great Depression. He was able to see our responsibilities to serve one another and to lead us in the Second World War. Being himself and not letting anything stop him when he was dejected and he suffered this physical ailment, he could overcome all of that by the kindness he was showing to others, and it helped all of us. We can't afford to let anything get in our way of showing kindness to others. Our greatest calling and purpose in this lifetime is to share God's love and bring hope to this world. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit Let each one of us lift up our own silent prayers.